You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Have you ever wondered why God would create chaos? If you're looking for a podcast with all the answers about chaos and surfing, that's going to help you better understand your faith, then you've come exactly to the wrong place. But if you're looking for a show that's going to ask bigger questions, it's going to struggle with differing opinions from smart theologians and leave you clueless, then you have found the perfect show for you. Hey guys, I'm Joshua Knoll, and I'm just one dummy who looking to love God and I love theology and I hope to show my love for God by studying and thinking deeply about topics that people smarter than me have been thinking about for thousands of years. This episode is not going to do like some of our other episodes recently where usually I'll go to like historical theology or systematic theology and we're looking like some of the just the philosophical things and going through like the study aspect of things. This one we're going to study on, if you go back to our first episode, we talked about different types of theology. We're going to look at some of those other kinds when we're thinking about today's topic. We're going to be focusing on aesthetic theology, and we're going to talk about practical theology, the theology from our experiences. So rather than looking at, which we're still going to look at some of it, rather than just looking at what people before us thought, the smarter theologians, which we're still going to think about, and rather of just focusing on the logic aspect of everything, I'm going to focus a little bit more on art and how we experience theology through art and how we develop our theology through our experiences and what we have seen and, you know, tangible things in this world to us. That's why this is going to be the first guest we ever have is going to be part of this episode. Pastor Will Rose, friend of mine, who's pastor of the Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, is going to come on to talk about his experience with surfing and how that's informed part of his theology. You guys know we've been going through and just kind of as I go through Genesis going, hey, this makes me think of this theological topic. Not that we're trying to decipher and explain the meaning of Genesis, but rather just using it as a template to say, hey, here's a good time to stop and think about some theology. We've gone through Genesis 1-1. We're in Genesis 1-2. We get to, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that there was darkness, it was void, and the spirit hovered over the waters. Next episode, we're going to talk about what is God's spirit. We're going to talk about the theology of spirit. This time, we're going to discuss, this time we're going to be discussing more Why is God over the waters? Where did the waters come from? What do the waters represent? Because remember, if if Genesis 1-1 is saying when God created the heavens and the earth, means before he created, there was already some stuff like the earth, like darkness, like the waters. But if Genesis 1-1 is interpreted as in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then these other things, well, that means that God created these things first. So depending on if you're saying in the beginning, God created, or if you're saying in the beginning, when God created. So how you did interpret the Hebrew really changes a lot of our theology, just starting at the very first verse of the Bible. And that's some of your biblical theology and why that stuff is important. The big problem today, the Bible talks about, and we, we all mostly, I think most of us would agree, that God is a God of order. God is one who likes structure. He likes things to have an order to them. But... We also know that God, that there is chaos, chaos exists, and if God created things out of the water, which the Bible says he did, does that mean God created order from chaos, that God used chaos to create everything? And at what point does chaos 
die off? How does a God of order allow for, accept, or even participate in chaos? So this is sort of a spin from that problem of evil that a lot of people talk about, right? The um, That problem being that if there is a God who is fully good, then how could that fully good and also all-powerful God allow for evil in the world? It's a good question. It's a hard question. That's what a lot of people focus on, and we're, we're going to talk about that several other places. But today I want to focus specifically on if God is a God of order and God is all-powerful, then how does an all-powerful God of order allow chaos to continue? And that's going to be a huge part of our discussion today. But before we go into most of that, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. So 1 Corinthians 14, 33 is one, and the other is going to be 1 Timothy 3. Um, in 1 Timothy, you what you see is Paul writing to Timothy, and he gives this idea of the order. Here are how things are supposed to be going on. Here's what it looks like as far as like the church polity, who are the elders, who are the deacons, and there's an order to things. Um, and then what we talked about is 1 Corinthians 14.33, that verse reads, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So if God's not a God of disorder, God wants peace, why does disorder exist? That's sort of the big question. And then you see the offices of the church. You see how God structures things. You go to the old law. God always wants order. God always wants law. But when you talk about the ocean, the Hebrew text, ocean is a symbol for chaos. So we're going back to like biblical theology. Ocean represents chaos. The Leviathan represents chaos. But these are things the Old Testament writers seem to believe God created. The God of order created these representations of chaos. That gets pretty confusing. The Bible states that God is a God of order. But our world is largely uh, in the state of entropy. And, and so that's why I do want to stop and think a little bit about history and think about what is entropy. Science teaches us that entropy is ever expanding forever and ever and ever. We just have more and more entropy, more and more disorder. Um, think of like if you have a puzzle and you drop it, is it more likely to fall into order and be complete or fall out of order and the pieces be nowhere near where they're supposed to be? Probably not going to fall into a complete puzzle when you do that. Um, a lot of it also has to do with heat. So you notice that heat will always go to cooler areas. So the hotter something is, if you put it in like a cold, you know, if I put something hot in a cold area, the heat will disperse. Basically, the useless energy is applied to reverse the direction. Um, not all heat energy, though, can be converted into work in a cyclical process. So if you're... Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good way to explain this. If I put a fire in a cold, let's just say a cold room. I don't know why we're putting a fire in our house. Let's say my house is cold. I start a fire. That heat's going to disperse and fill the house, the house with warmth. But not all of the energy from the fire is going to go to create warmth. Some of it just gets wasted. Some of the energy can't be converted. And that always is the case. And the more and more time goes on, energy that can't be converted, that entropy continues to grow. And that's where we get into the second law of thermodynamics. And that's where we think about like Murphy's law. If something can go wrong, it will go wrong. Things go from bad to worse. Nature prefers a flawed state, it seems like, right? If you're just thinking of like what happens naturally, it's not order. I mean, you go into, we have to create order as humans for nature to work for us the way that we want it to. 
But if God created everything, then why wouldn't nature by itself just be orderly? It's a big question. It's a hard question. You know, um, everything on its own loses order. Uh, think of like us as humans, you know, you, your skin, everything is like neat, orderly, whatever. And then as I get older, I start to lose hair. As I get older, I start getting hairs where I don't want hairs. You know, nails grow in weird places. Like my body doesn't stay how I want it to. In fact, it gets more disorderly until eventually it kind of falls apart, right? Um, so we have a quote from Arthur Eddington. He says that the law that entropy always increases holds the supreme position among all the laws of nature. And what he's saying is, if you have to pick something, that's the thing that's going to happen. Decay will always happen. Other laws of nature usually work, but maybe not always work. The law that everything decays seems to always work. If I put ice in a warm room, it melts. Point blank. If I throw a puzzle down, it's going to go to, to less of a puzzle. I, I love my garden outside. I have a pollinator garden. It can look beautiful. But the longer I leave it without doing anything, especially here in the South, I can leave it for a couple of days. Weeds grow up. Things grow where they're not supposed to go. I have some of my like um, spreading flowers spread to places I don't want it to spread to because nature isn't orderly. Things decay. Things go to chaos. Things go to entropy is kind of the preferred nature of things. Um, but what's interesting is that entropy is often unwittingly used as a proof for God. And it actually might be a good one. Because what we see is if everything constantly goes to less and less order, why is there any order at all? How is it that humans have a heart, have a desire to make structures, to make political bodies, to, to put things into an order? Why would we have that when nature itself is not orderly? It's not natural. One might even say it's supernatural. And I think that's probably pretty accurate. Um, whenever I was in my car accident, so this is talking about my own experience. Again, you know, I talked about my garden. I also want to talk about when I had this car accident and I thought that I I was just done. Like I was pretty much dead. Um, I had one, well, I had a few brain surgeries and I wasn't able to read or look at my phone, computer, TV, anything like that. But one Bible verse really stuck in my head, which was Isaiah 27, 1. And I always misquote it now, which is ironic because I remembered it for this time in my life. And now I can't is what it is. But it's something along the lines that, that God with his great and powerful and mighty sword is going to slay Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the windy serpent, you know, whatever. And the image that this verse paints is post-apocalyptic, the end of the world, Leviathan, the symbol of chaos, is going to get killed by God with his power in order. So chaos being overcome from order. And that was the one verse, whenever I went to preach about my accident and give my testimony at churches, I used my grandfather's Bible. That was the one verse of all of it that he had highlighted, and I didn't know that previously. So it was powerful to me that not only was this verse something that stuck in my head when I needed it, but it was also special to my grandfather who went before me. And it's just this idea that God is a God of order. There may be chaos in the world. In fact, entropy will always increase, and I can't give you a good reason why. But what we do know is that God desires order. So the question then comes to, did God create Leviathan? Did God create the chaos? In which case, why is he slaying it? Why would he just not create the chaos in the first place? Not create evil in the first place instead of ending it, right? Did God create the sea? Or was the sea there before time? Remember, it, 
one interpretation could be when God created the heaven to the earth, there was darkness, there was the sea, God hovered over the sea, then he created stuff out of it. And if that was the case, is everything from chaos? Did God just use chaos? Did God create chaos? What's going on there? I'm Remember, I'm just a dummy. I don't have any clear answers for you, but it is interesting to think about. Then you have to wonder if God created everything before the sea. Let's say God did create the sea and all that. Is sin what created entropy? Would everything have never fallen to disorder? Would everything not decay if we hadn't sinned? Or would that happen still anyway? So we get into this idea of like, how does this infect, uh, how does this impact our doctrine of sin? What is sin or what is the results of sin? Entropy, decay might be one of the results of sin, or maybe it was here before God created. I don't have a clear answer on that one, unfortunately. Then we think about biblical imagery. And we end up we're thinking of the sea and the sea as the symbol of chaos. There's this cosmic sea of creation, whatever you look at. Uh, Jesus calmed the sea. You know, that was an important Bible passage because even at that time, sea represented chaos. But Jesus was able with a, just his word to create peace out of that. When we look in Revelation, we see that there in heaven is a sea of crystal. That the sea has stopped, the chaos has stopped, and it's become this beautiful thing in the presence of God instead. Second Peter 3, verses 3 through 7, the Bible says that God did create out of the sea. If that was the case, did the sea exist just as long as God existed? How long has the sea been there? This really develops our thinking of creation, develops our thinking of the cos of cosmology, develops our thinking of who God is. Um, let, me, let me read this. Above all, beware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and earth was brought about from water and through water. Through the... Through these, the world of that time perished when it was flooded. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The Bible states this thing of like, and, and that's, Peter also says, that's why we do baptism. You know, that uh, sea, that's where everything was created from the waters. Earth came from the waters. It's also when God punished the world and flooded the world, he, what did he use? He used water. When we baptize, we say we die to ourselves. How? By going under the water. Water is a powerful image throughout the Bible, but it always denotes the sense of chaos. And yet, God likes to use the waters. It's interesting. Why does the God of order want to use the symbol of chaos so frequently? Is it to show he had power over it? To show that God works with it? Show that there's a balance? Maybe there is a dualism to the universe. Go back to the last episode. We talk about that a lot. What is it? We're thinking about the Leviathan. We see him in that Isaiah verse. We see that Job sees him when God is kind of describing how great they both are and trying to show how powerful he is. The Antichrist and the beast of Revelation also, they come from the sea. So the end of time, the things that are like the antagonist to God's people come from the symbol of chaos. That's where we get into some really important questions. Um, it's where I love pirates, right? Why? Because the pirate ship is supposed to be a symbol of chaos. If you watch <laughs> a chaos and a freedom both. And that, that's where I think the important balance here is. Because I, I think God wants freedom. You know, it is for freedom. Christ set us free, according to Galatians 5.1. And when you, when you look throughout the Bible, God wants his people to have freedom. That's why he gives free will. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different doctrines of what is free will, what is humankind, what is freedom, all these things. There's a lot of disagreements. I'm just some dummy. I can't give you clear answers to most of it. 
One thing I like about pirates, though, is when the government's suppressive, when the order is actually causing people to be bound to lives of poor and unhealth, you know, just bad situations because the government, the order is toxic. That's when people took to the sea. That's when some of these pirates were taking slaves, taking women, taking different people who usually would be oppressed by the system. And through the waters, through chaos, they're able to find a sense of freedom. Um, of course, piracy is also involved a lot of evil, a lot of bad things. But the parts that I do like is where it did represent this sense of freedom. The problem is I think we have to find a balance of that freedom, but also order because God is a God of order, but he's not a God of oppression. So that's where these stories of history, these stories of our experiences, these stories of just thinking through what is the Bible actually saying about the symbol are all important. And that's where I'm excited to announce our, our guest coming up, Pastor Will Rose. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to let you guys know, quick warning, my audio was just completely off. It used the wrong system or something. So forgive my audio in it. It's still worth listening to this next section. Pastor Will has some powerful things to say about his own experience as a surfer and what surfing has taught him about the sea and God's desire for all of us. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. Will, your only time and the only guest I've had on Dummy for Theology. So, Pastor Will, could you introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, I'm a dummy for theology too. I am a Lutheran minister in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, Joshua and I geek out on many things like uh, superhero stuff and sci-fi stuff and theology. And we're going to geek out about something else right now that I, I geek out a lot on and that's surfing. So excited to do that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, don't want to take up too much of you guys' time. You, I talked about uh, one type of theology is practical theology, and that is how we experience our theology and we experience God. So for Will, one way I think he experiences the divine is in his time surfing. So could you share with us your history with surfing and what about it speaks to you? Yeah, my history of surfing. I, we have about three hours to go into it, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> you can see there, there's me surfing with my robe on and there's me surfing a good day at Wrightsville Beach. Yeah, I grew up on the south end of Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, and um, I've always been around water, all always been around the ocean. I'm a lifelong beach bum, lifelong swimmer, lifelong surfer. I can't even remember the first time I got in the ocean or even the first time I caught my first wave. I've just always done it. I do remember swim lessons and remember being pretty good at it. And then my parents put me on a swim team, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I've surfed my whole life been catching waves, playing the ocean as long as I can remember. And my parents still live at the south end of Wrightsville Beach and I still go down there and surf quite often. So um, I, I grew up uh, when I was little, I had a little boogie board and I would ride in on waves with that. And I was so little that I could even stand up on my boogie board and ride waves. Nice. Um, and I do remember looking at other people standing up on surfboards and thinking, I want to do that. I want a surfboard. And I remember my, my friend, Eddie Stein, his dad came down to the beach with us and let us borrow his real live fiberglass surfboard. It was red. I think I remember it being red. It was a single fin. It was back in the 70s. It had a lightning bolt on the top of it. I remember laying down on top of it and smelling like the surf wax that helps you stick to the board <laughs> and stand that board and riding in on a wave and thinking that was the coolest thing ever. And uh, from there on out, um, every Christmas, every birthday, I would ask my parents for a surfboard. And sometimes I would get them, sometimes I wouldn't. It's like a car. You trade them into the surf shop, get a new one. And uh, and and I, I still do that. I have a fleet of surfboards at my house that I still use to this day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Me. 
And one thing you've told me about your surfboards, uh, you told me that you write Genesis 1 2, part of what we're talking mm-hmm. about today, on your surfboards. So I was like, man, I got to have them on, talk about this, and get into some different types of theology, like practical theology. So um, could you just maybe, for, for my sake, could you unpack mm-hmm. a little bit? Why is this written on your surfboard? And what does this verse mean to you? Yeah, well, being uh, you know a lifelong surfer, and then I've been uh, baptized Lutheran my whole life, and then into ministry, becoming a pastor, you know, studying the scriptures and being a surfer. I'm of the belief uh, that God is a surfer, and the proof mm-hmm. of that is at the very beginning of creation, Genesis one two, that says, "And the Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God." hovered over the face of the deep. Right there at the beginning of creation, at the emergence of creation, God is there surfing over the chaotic waters there at the very, very beginning. And it's of my personal belief that uh, God had so much fun surfing over those chaotic waters. God said, I want someone to partner and do this with. So that's why we exist today, so that God can have surfers to surf uh, with. So that's why I write that on the bottom of my surfboard in Sharpie. I write Genesis 1-2 and God's spirit it. Ruach is the Hebrew word, the wind, the breath of God, hover over the face of the deep. And then I also write um, Psalm 93, three through four, which is uh, the floods have lifted up their voice. The waters, the mighty waters have lifted up their voice, but the but God is mightier than the breakers of the sea. So I have those two verses kind of juxtaposed beside each other between my mm-hmm. fins that help steer uh, the surfboard on the wave. almost like a rudder, like a boat. It's mm-hmm. between the fins that helps give me motion and stabilize on the water. I have those two scripture verses there to help remind me that God is a surfer and surfs with me. Mm-hmm. Now, is that like like the dualism kind of thing of there being the chaos of the water, but then the God who is over in control? Or is that kind of a hierarchy of God nature kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a couple interpretations of Genesis 1-2, right? Uh, there is, like you said, there's the um, uh, the dualism of God defeating, uh, defeating chaos and put it under control and, and creating order out of chaos. Uh, but there's also, uh, I, I recommend a book to everyone. Dr. Catherine Keller wrote a book called The Face of the Deep, A Theology of Becoming. And what she says in that book is that God is partnering with chaos rather than defeating it. So they kind of surf together, work together, that chaos can be like a womb or those chaotic waters. Uh, the tehom, I think is the, the Hebrew word, um, is, is really a womb where creation emerges out of. And so um, it's, it's kind of between the two. You know, we there, I think both are there in Scripture. There's a partnership with it for God's devices and, and, and tools. And there's also kind of a an understanding of defeating it and bringing order out of chaos. God is still majestic and rules over it and sovereign over it. So that, I think both that language is there in scripture. There's a tension there. Um, I like to see, you know, as a surfer, there is, is, is more of a, um, Serving a wave is like improv ballet. So you take what the wave gives you and you react to that whatever that shape that wave has, you're reacting to it in kind of this improv. But it's also like a dance that you're in rhythm with that wave. Um, it can sometimes be rough. You can have wipeouts. It can be very chaotic. It can, it can drown you. So it's dangerous, but it's also kind of a beautiful ballet or dance between you and the wave together. So I think that's both there as a part of surfing. And I think 
personally, my own theology is that, yeah, God is sovereign. God is more majestic than any breaker that um, the sea can produce, but there's also God uses it and it's in partnership and communion with creation itself, with the waters itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked a lot. There's already tons of different ways that people break off and branch off and have different beliefs. Just in these first two verses, when you're going through the Bible. I mean, you have, are you literal or not? Because that, you know, if you're not taking mm-hmm. this literal, a lot of these debates don't really matter. But then even Genesis 1, if you're interpreting it as in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, that implies that he created the waters and he's over the waters. But some people will interpret it when God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything out of the water. So if there's that word wind, then all of a sudden, maybe God didn't create the water. Maybe the water was there and he used it to create. And that's, right. you know, but then there's that whole thing of like the philosophy of first things. There had to be a first thing. So the water still had to come from somewhere. There's a lot to all of this. It's hard to unpack. You know, dummy for theology. The whole thing is I'm not going to give anybody any clear mm-hmm. answers. But one thing throughout the Hebrew text, waters, and you've mentioned this, that water is kind of always a symbol for chaos or usually a symbol for chaos. Mm-hmm. We see this relationship that God has to the water where he creates it. He loves the water just like he loves the night, right? Um, for you as a surfer, what does the symbol like water is a symbol of chaos? Does that ring pretty true to you or is that um, offensive to you? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> um, I, I talk about this too, guys. I've I've not only surfed my whole life and then been the seminary and been a pastor. I've also led surf camps where I've um, like a Lutheran surf camp where I take kids out, push them in the wave, teach them to surf, and and I lift up those places in the Bible where water is really important. And 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 science teaches us that you can't have life without water either. Like if we're looking for life on other planets, we know that life is um, just. Um, dependent upon water here on earth. So when we're looking for life elsewhere and we think about life on earth, it's dependent on water. So you can't have life without it. So it also has a sacramental nature to it in terms of baptism and rebirth. Mm-hmm. So I integrate all those themes with the surf camp to say, you know, not only are we having fun out in the water, catching waves, this thrilling kind of um, extreme sport of riding waves <laughs> out in the ocean, yeah. but, but there's also like something rich and deep when it comes to what we believe, who God is and the part of creation that we're part of. So that's what I try to tie in. So, so yeah, water is a symbol of chaos, a symbol of, um, uh, it can be very destructive, the floods, uh, but mm-hmm. also, you know, waters of life. You can't live without drinking it. There's um, li- life emerges out of water. Science tells us that. And I think it's there in scripture too, that they go hand in hand uh, together. So, so yeah, you can't have one without the other. They're dependent on one another. I see as I see water as both chaotic and um, and can be destructive, but also um, uh, it's it's necessary for life in an, in and of itself. So we play around with that with um, with surf camp, and you know you look at the New Testament too. Look at Jesus. He um, at baptism, the Spirit of God came. His baptism, the Spirit came down and hovered over his waters of baptism, and then you mm-hmm. also had. Um, you know him walking on water uh with with the uh with the uh disciples and apostles out in the boat scared for their lives because they thought they were going to get swallowed up by the chaos of the sea and here comes Jesus walking <laughs> yeah. on water images going back to genesis and then at the end uh in the book of revelation there's that verse and the sea was no more i remember going to seminary and going right to my new testament professor and go what i'm a lifelong surfer i love the beach what do you mean the sea's no more i want to surf 
heaven. What are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 Will, calm down. What they're trying to say is that in chaos, uh, yeah. the destructive monster of chaos will be no more. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what it's, it's not saying. There's not going to be water. There's not going to be beaches that you can't serve in heaven. It's just saying uh, <laughs> the chaotic nature of reality, the destructive nature of reality that fights against or rebels against God will be no more. Hmm. And did you speak in tongues when he told you that uh, that doesn't mean there won't be surfing in heaven? <laughs> no, I, I was just speaking. Yeah, house. I was like, yeah. but, but he called my spirits. He called yeah. my spirits. So, do you think that surfing has in any way changed your view on the unpredictable things in your own life, like the thing, the unpredictable? You know, that's just a part of everyone's life. Yeah, yeah. What what is um. You know, the only constant in life is that there's that it's inconsistent. <laughs> there, everything changes, and and that's just a reality. A quote that I love is that um, the only thing that you can control is how you react to those things you can't control. And so uh, wave surfing, I can't control the ocean. I can't control the tides. I can't control the waves that come my way. I can only control on how I react to it. So I think my own personality of being kind of a surfer, layback surfer, go with the flow, man, um, is a part of my nature. But I also I think of like how I deal with life. There's a lot of things in my life I can't control. God is one of them. The ocean is one of them. Uh, the weather is one of them. I, but I can control how I react to it. So, so yeah, I, I really hold that pretty close to my heart and in terms of how I grow in my faith and how I live in community with other people. Um, surfing again, like I said, is that kind of improv ballet that you have to move and groove with the wave that's given to you. And and um, over the years, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at it. And then that <laughs> applies to how, how I... Um, how I live my life on the highway and in community and with my own faith and in my relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah. When he says he's gotten pretty good at it, uh, some of the pictures I've seen, he's had to tell me weren't Photoshopped and was actually right. in. Cause I'm like, that looks like, that looks like the picture that you was on Disney channel for a professional server. <laughs> Cause that's my only point of reference. Um, yeah. I've been surfing a long time. Yeah. Like I, 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 there was a time in my life when I thought when I was surfing competitively and surfing contests up and down the East coast, like, man, maybe yeah. I could do this fairly. I could be professional, but um, you know, there's a lot of good surfers out there and I can hold my own out in the water, but there's, man, there's a lot of, there's a pro surfing, um, circuit in a world surf league that I think people should check out. It's a lot of fun. They go on tour and some of the best surfers in the world surf some of these amazing waves. I would love to be able to do it one day, but I'll, I'll watch them instead. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> just before we go, just for funsies, what else do people need to know about the surfing world? Like just, just lay it on. Them. What do we need to know that's going on with surfing right now? That mm. you think's just totally rad, dude. Sorry, I can't be surfer. So I just kind of like be fun. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a surfer lingo that people stereotype with, yeah. with that. Yeah, totally rad, dude. Radical. Yeah, yeah. Like we can code That's switch and start talking. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's there's many diverse ways to catch waves and surf. Like there aren't anything. You know, you have um, like in basketball, there's there's like street ball and people who play for fun and church league and and you're know, just going out in your driveway and shooting hoops to relax. And and then there's professional NBA that do it for a living and and March Madness with college basketball. The same way in surfing. There's world surf league there's professionals who do it for a living and make money uh surfing and free surfing and surfing the biggest and best waves in the world and then there are those who like to go on vacation and just as a way to relax and and hang out they they um they, they go out in the ocean and, and spend time uh, catching waves and getting in tune with creation and nature. And there's all different kinds of shapes of surfboards and 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 how to do it. Like I tell my my surf campers, like whether you stand up on a wave and do a, an incredible 
aerial maneuver or you get barrel like the biggest barrel in Hawaii, or you just ride a wave on your belly from the ocean to the sand. You're, you're, if you're riding a wave, you're surfing. And so whether you're professional or whether you just catch a wave on your belly on a boogie board or, or whatever, uh, you're catching a wave. So there's different ways to, to surf and, and we can all be surfers. And God, I think, calls us to surf with God, um, surf on God's grace and love there out, out in, in the creation that we're a part of. He gets to hover over the water as well. I face plant into them and everyone as well. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a learning curve. It's extremely hard. Like, you know, snowboarding, skateboarding, uh, skiing, you have, you're going downhill, you have to have balance, but it's not a moving apparatus. Waves are moving. So surfing's so unique that it's, um, you know, you're, you're surfing on something that's moving with you. And uh, while there are patterns in waves and how they break and move, every wave is different. So that's what's so intriguing with me. No matter what wave I catch or how many times I've done it, every wave is different. It has a different result. So you're, you're reacting to that wave coming at you. So uh, that's what so I think makes it different from other sports, that it's, it's an improv and a ballet on things that changes and moves. So, um, yeah, and, there, and wipeouts happen. You got to learn how to... <laughs> Yeah. You're going to fall off. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're going to wipe out. You're going to fall off. You're going to get, you maybe get hurt. You got to watch out for your support and others. Uh, but you just paddle back out and try to catch another wave. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true most of the time when we interact with uh, God's creation. You know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of gardening. I do have a pollinator garden on the side of my house. And that's one thing that I connect with God with. And you can mm-hmm. say there's not chaos in gardening. There is. Like, it's wild. <laughs> so, yeah. I think there's patterns and there's chaos. And then us being in tune with it and going in rhythm with it. And times to time, sometimes we wipe out in all things. And so you got to learn how to get back out there and, and try again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully this, uh, this little take on the experience of Will as a surfer has helped us think a little bit deeper when it comes to our ideas, our practical theology of chaos and order and what God thinks about these things. Pastor Will, thank you for joining us as the first ever guest is only with theology. Yeah, so I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Will. He's a great guy, great friend of mine. He's going to be starting a show here on the Anazal Podcast Network coming up, our, our Anazal Ministries Podcast Network, the AMP Network, um, of just some of his sermons. If you guys just want to hear him preach or hear more from him, you can go there or to Systematic Geekology, where he's one of the hosts over there with me, TJ, and a few of the other guys that you are probably familiar with. But wrapping this one up, when we think about the different doctrines that are are implied or impacted by how we think through this question of why a God of order would create chaos or what is, what is his relationship? Was chaos first? We're thinking through how, what we want to believe, what we think about what the Bible is saying, any of these things, what we're really wrestling with, we're wrestling with doctrines concerning the character of God, concerning the problem of evil, concerning our apologetics, um, our angelology, our role of agents in the kingdom of God, our relationship with creation or, you know, the sea specifically chaos in our lives. And we're wrestling with questions of the ecclesiology. What does it mean to be the church? So what do I mean that we're looking at the character of God? Well, we have to wonder like, who is God, right? Like uh, did God choose to create chaos? And when he said it was good, was he saying that chaos was good when he chose to create the waters? Did God use chaos to create? Did he use the water to create? Or did he create from nothing? And the Bible, you know, it's saying God created everything. And then from the waters, he did all this other stuff. So did he also create the waters or did he use the waters to create? That tells us something about God's character. Did God, does God dislike chaos? I mean, it's a real simple question, but 
Does he dislike it? Does he understand that we need the balance? Did God create it? What's going on there? How does God feel about entropy? You know, second law of thermodynamics. Was he like, oh, didn't mean to include that. I doubt it, but these are important questions. Is God a surfer? That tells us something about God's character. Is he a beach bum? Who knows? <laughs> We're thinking of the problem of evil. You know, that's another one of the doctrines that's really impacted by this. If disorder is a departure from God's plan, then are unpredictable behaviors sinful when we do something that wasn't expected of us? Is that sinful? I have to say probably not because some of us, typically people expect the worst of us. And then if you do something that's not the worst, you sh that's not, I think that's sinful. Um, why would an all good God choose to create chaos or to kill everyone with the sea? You know, that whole flood story. If he's all good, wh why would he choose to do that? So this also contributes to how we think about this problem of evil. Why does God allow entropy to continue at all? Why does God let disorder happen or decay? Why would a great good God allow me to go bald? <laughs> you know, you know, the problem of evil, these are actually important questions to be wrestling with. Um, angelology, can demons repent? Is that is that possible? Do angels have free will? Are angels fighting against entropy? Uh, you know, when we think about the, the fall of the angels, like who is the beast? Who is the antichrist? All of these things that rose from the sea in the end times. Uh, even going through like the flood story and then after the flood, some of the angels were mating with the humans. I mean, well, we have to ask these questions of like, how does order work? How sovereign is God? How how much does God know about the future? Did God know when he created the angels, they'd become demons? In which case, why did he create those angels? How much free will do angels have? Apologetics is another one that's impacted by this. Does the fact that order is unlikely point to the likeliness of God? Like is The fact that it's unlikely for everything to be ordered in such a way that it is, um, think about just how what all had to happen for Earth to exist, for us to be here. That takes a lot of order. And since order isn't what happens on its own in nature, does that imply that there's a likelihood to God? Does that impact how we go about our apologetics? You know, how we think about these things. Can the constant deterioration of creation prove that God had to start everything? The fact that everything is slowly decaying, does that mean that there had to be a God or something that created a big start? Because on its own, everything just decays. Um, does entropy disprove God? You know, the fact that everything's kind of immediately wants to have chaos, does that prove that there can't be a God of order over all things, because if there was, why would there be so much chaos? So these are all questions that have to do with how we think about our apologetics. Then ecclesiology, we think about the church. Is it the church's job to continue to add order to our countries? I mean, should the church be concerned with structuring people's lives? Could the church be concerned with politics? Um, should the church be helping to preserve nature against the entropic forces, or should the church help nature decay because that's how God apparently made it. You know, uh, how should the church think about our duty towards creation? If God is God of order, how do we reflect that in our churches? These are all important questions for our ecclesiology. All of these doctrines are extremely important to think about. I don't have any good answers for you, but as always, you know, this show isn't about giving you answers. It's about giving you questions. So I have three big takeaway questions for today for people to study on, ponder on their own. Number one, if God created everything out of chaos and entropy is ever increasing, how does that change our view of the unpredictable in our own lives? If God created everything out of chaos, how does that change my view of what's unpredictable in my own life? Number two, what practice, surfing, 
gardening, pirating. What practice could you do that would strengthen your relationship with nature? Probably not pirating. But I think that's an important thing to think of. We should all be doing something that strengthens our relationship with nature, that informs our theology through practice. Practical theology is an important thing to be participating in. Um, number three, how does your view on God's orderliness impact your view on church polity? How does your view on how God desires structure impact your view on how your church structures itself? So the three questions again, if God created everything out of chaos, how does that change your view of the unpredictable in your own life? What practice, like surfing or gardening, could you do that would strengthen your relationship with nature? And number three, how does your view of God's orderliness impact your view on your church's polity? So I hope these three questions are helpful and help you think more deeply about your own church, your own life, your own theology. Um, you know, I don't have any answers, but I'm hoping this helps you come up with some of your own answers for those of you who are smarter than me, which probably all of you. Um, I hope you're just as confused as I am and that you are inspired to experience God more deeply and study both the Bible and nature more deeply on this topic going forward in your own faith journeys. Thank you all so much for joining this journey, this dummy. <laughs> there, see, there you go. Thank you all for, for joining this dummy on my journey to learn more about God and to love him better. I hope this has encouraged you to worship God in your own thinking. And of course, to keep on struggling. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.